Well, this morning we are back into 1 Corinthians. Um, if you've been with us, you'll know that we've spent, I think, three months now in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And if you're joining us for the first time, you know, we call um, 1 Corinthians a book of the Bible, but really it is a letter. And we know that Paul wrote this to the church in a city called Corinth about 20 years after the ascension of Jesus. So about 20 years after Jesus left the earth and went back to the Father in heaven. And after that, the church really started growing. And with that growth came some growing pains. And so Paul is addressing a whole bunch of issues uh, going on in that Christian community and a lot of division. So this morning, we are going to read from chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. But first, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you help us to better reflect the perfect, beautiful unity we see in you, Father, Son, and Spirit. I pray that, that Spirit, you would pour yourself into our church so that we would not be divided. And so out of our loving and caring for one another, that we would be able to care and to love for others in the city of Guelph. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're reading 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 27. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize." Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would somebody be willing to get me a glass of water? That would be really helpful. My whole family went to Sunday school. Otherwise, I would direct one of them <laughs> to get me water. But uh, thank you. I could have asked you. That's true. Um, so I, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine who lives in Japan. Um, his name is Sylvan, and uh, he's a missionary in Japan. He's what sometimes in Christian circles is called a tent maker. So he, he moved to Japan um, many years ago, and he teaches English at one of the top universities in the country there. He and his wife, Yuriko, have a teenage daughter. And I mentioned to him that I was preaching on 1 Corinthians 9, and he gave me two words. He said, this passage is all about these two words, radical identification. So I, I was curious. I said, well, what is that? And he illustrated it. He said that he once donated some books to the library at the school where he teaches in Tokyo. 
They were worn out paperbacks. He'd already read them. They were nothing special. And then years later, he got the urge to reread one of them and realized it was among the ones he'd given away. Thank you. So he took it out of the library. He borrowed his own book that he donated from the library. But then he went on a trip and he lost the book. And when he told the library that, that he had lost his book, their book, they said he'd have to pay $100 to replace it. <laughs> and he pointed out that he'd actually donated the book and it wasn't worth anything near $100. But they said the rules are the rules. And my friend Sylvan said that he considered making a bit of a fuss about this. He could have talked to the head librarian, who was actually a friend of his, and he was faculty after all. He could have gotten off without paying. But he explained to me that they would have thought less of him if he'd done that. You don't make a fuss in Japan, you obey the rules. And so he paid the fine. It's a small thing, but for him it was a conscious decision to be true to his calling, to identify with Japanese culture. God calls every one of us like that. He calls us to lay down our rights, to make sacrifices, and to get close to people we might not normally be interested in, we might normally disregard, all for the sake of the gospel, so that we can share in its blessings. And that word share that we read means participate in a community of its blessings. So throughout this series, we've looked at being in the world, but not of the world. And this is a moment when Paul really emphasizes being in the world. He practically shouts at us, in the world, in the world, in the world. He says, lay down your rights, those things that might keep you at a distance from people, and get close enough to whisper the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ to them. That's what Paul's really saying here. At the beginning of his letter, Paul said that the entirety of the Christian message could be summed up in two words, and that is Christ crucified. That's our new identity. And more recently in chapter 6, we saw that Paul wrote, we are not our own, but we have been bought at a price. So we've been redeemed, we've been given our freedom. And a lot of what Paul's been writing about lately that we've looked at is about what it means to be free, to be truly free. So he says, we are in Christ. That's who we are now. So much so that we are no longer our own even. And where does that freedom lead, lead us to? Well, it's not just the freedom to serve others, although that's important, but it's also the freedom to step into their shoes, this radical identification my friend Sylvan was referring to. And what does that mean to identify with someone? Well, it means to learn their language. It means to get close to them, to understand their experiences. It means to share their life, to enter into their world, to dwell there, to stay there, and to listen. When Paul says he wants to win as many as possible, some of us, if you grew up in the church, maybe a certain kind of church, you might immediately think of evangelism. And, and that's right and proper, because that is part of what he means here. 
To win is to persuade, it's to invite a conversion. But this also applies to those who are already converted, to those who are within the Christian community. When Paul talks about saving some, he doesn't mean a narrow individualistic view of evangelism, like a one-time thing where someone gets saved. You've heard this expression. No, he's talking about a continual faithful presence that nurtures unity in the church and that wins people back and gathers them over and over again into covenant community, which is what we do, if you think about it, every Sunday morning. And it's what we do for each other as we go through highs and lows in our lives, right? Those valleys especially, people can get lost in them. So when Paul talks about becoming a Jew to the Jews, and it's a bit confusing, um, I don't know if you felt that as I was reading it, he's talking about observing Jewish culture. For example, only eating certain foods that Jews were allowed to eat, eating kosher. Well, it's kind of crazy that Paul says that, if you know Paul at all, that he talks about becoming a Jew to the Jews, because Paul was the best Jew there had ever been. He was the most Jewish Jew in Judaism. Say that fast. Now he's talking about becoming a Jew like it's something completely apart from who he is. Well, in a way, that's true. That's how totally and completely Christ has changed him. He's no longer bound by those rules, but he's willing to live that way for the sake of the gospel, to point people to Jesus. And the same is true for the other group of people who would have been Corinth and really throughout that world, the Gentiles. Anyone who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile who were not under Jewish law. With the Gentiles, Paul says that he will gladly eat anything at all. And then he talks about a third group of people, those he calls weak. So you've got Jews, Gentiles, and the weak. He says when it comes to relationships with those whom he calls weak, he will not exercise his freedom. For example, to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Paul says that we're not obliged to do this. It's not some new law we have to obey. But he says that he's free in Christ. He's under Christ's law. What does that mean? Well, there is no law of Christ. It means that he's set on obedience to Christ and on understanding what Scripture points him to, keeping in step with the Spirit. God gives us the kind of love that will prompt us to radically identify with others as we seek to serve him. And we do that willingly as the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and our minds about what matters in life. When I was a student in Beijing many years ago now, people were always happy to meet a Canadian. You know what Canada is best known for in China, or at least at that time was? Not maple syrup, not that it's really cold here, not politeness but for a man named Bai Chou-un, better known to us as Norman Bethune from Gravenhurst, Ontario, who served in China as a medical doctor. And after the war, the Civil War, the communists made him a national hero. And so children in China grew up hearing stories about Norman Bethune. Well, if we jump across to Taiwan, Taiwan has a Canadian hero also, and he's someone who 
should be better known to us as Christians. In, 19, sorry, in 1871, George Leslie Mackay left Zorro Township, which is just down the 401, west of here, close to Woodstock, and traveled to Taiwan at the time called Formosa as the very first Canadian Presbyterian missionary. He was an incredible man who really practiced what Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 9. At a time when all Westerners, including missionaries, were keeping their distance from Chinese people and Chinese culture, Mackay radically identified with the people of Taiwan. First of all, he focused all of his energy when he first arrived on learning the language. Initially, he hung out with herd boys because no one else wanted to be around him. To the Taiwanese, he was a foreign devil. He quickly picked up basic language skills. He made amazing progress because he spent all of his time with people from whom he could learn this language. Most missionaries would have stayed in their comfortable homes in the port cities. They lived in compounds with high walls and with servants. That's what we call colonialism, and the church was definitely complicit in that and should be subject to critique and is, as you know. But Mackay was different in a Jesus kind of way. He traveled all over Taiwan. Here's a picture of him with his wife and children. He met the people and he came to love them. He was an entrepreneur too. He didn't do things the way they'd always been done. He learned basic medical skills, including dentistry, so that it was evident to people that he cared, that he wanted to help, that he wasn't a threat. Some accounts say that he pulled over 10,000 teeth in the course of his <laughs> amateur dentist exploits. He established the first modern schools in, China, in Taiwan and, and hospitals as well. In fact, one of the biggest hospitals in Taipei, the capital of Taiwan today, is named after him. And in the process, Mackay upset a lot of his fellow missionaries by relying on Chinese leadership. He was always giving over power to others, to local leaders. Most Westerners weren't willing to do that. But Mackay did that immediately and kept on doing it. But perhaps most radically of all, Mackay fought racism, the racism that was prevalent all over the Western world at the time. He was the first Western missionary not just Canadian, but first Western missionary period to marry a Chinese woman, Tui Changmia, who came to be known by her English name of Minnie. And he fought the racist head tax that the government of Canada charged every Chinese person who came to Canada starting in 1885. Next year would be the 100th anniversary of the abolition of that. So Mackay practiced what we're calling radical identification with the people of Taiwan. And his legacy is that the Presbyterian Church in Taiwan is the largest Protestant church there, and it's growing, it's thriving. But, you know, Paul is not writing here in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians only for missionaries who are called to go around the world. All of us are called to this radical identification. And we're called to live that out here in the city of Guelph. Guelph is a city with many cultures. It's not just one thing, is it? It's changing all the time. It's changed since we moved here 12 years ago. So when I say Guelph, what comes to mind for you? Just shout out. Let's do some word association. So, a farmer speaks up first. Agriculture. 
What else? What else do you think of? What do you associate with Guelph? Granola. <laughs> it's great granola you can get in grocery stores here. No, that's, I think granola is symbolic of a certain hippie vibe, perhaps. It depends where you live in Guelph, too, though, right? So what else? What else do you think of when I say Guelph? Artists. Artists, sure. Hillsong? Hillside. 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 Not Hillsong, thank you. <laughs> I'm in my little Christian bubble over here, yeah. Hillside, the music festival. So here's a slide that I put together with some things that, that uh, I associate with Guelph. So you've got, there's a cow there for you, Bruce. Do you see the cow? You've got a mall in the center, Stone Road Mall. Does anyone shop in person anymore? I think, I think so. And then you've got Church of Our Lady, the church that is on the hill, overlooks Guelph. University of Guelph, the Albion, which is still closed. Does somebody know the guy? Can they get it open? I love that place. <laughs> the river, two rivers, in fact. You've got the 401. A lot of us commute from Guelph to other places for work. Music, coffee, planet bean, subdivisions. So these are some of the things that make up what Guelph is. Your picture would look different from my picture, I'm betting. Who do you identify with? Who do you spend time with? What do you love to do? I have a friend who collects toy soldiers. And he's serious about it. He gets joy out of doing that. He's an adult man who loves <laughs> toy soldiers. And there's a whole community of these people who love toy soldiers. And, and I'm amazed at how creative they are in nurturing their passion for collecting these things. My friend is in the best possible position to share the gospel with them. And by that, I don't mean preach at them. No, one of the most important ways we can share the gospel today is simply by being a normal person and a Christian. Someone who is open about our faith, but not pushy or loud, and definitely not political. Close enough to whisper is where we can find ourselves. The point of identifying with people is to love them. It's not a means to an end. It's not pretend, it has to be real, it has to develop naturally the way friendships do. Only then will we find that we're close enough to whisper about who Jesus is and the difference he's made in our lives. When our friends ask a question, when God gives us the opportunity to share the gospel more directly, sometimes we make the mistake of feeling like God only goes when we go or that God's only in here on Sunday mornings. How wrong is that? God is out there, everywhere in the city of Guelph, every corner, the darkest and the brightest, ahead of us. Jesus is on the move. Are we going to pay attention to what he's doing? Will we join him in the way that he's present in the lives of the people he brings into our path. Maybe you've never thought of your hobby or your interest 
or your area of expertise as a calling, as a vocation, but I want to encourage you to do that this morning. We represent at least 100 different subcultures here today. We're environmentalists and hunters. We're anime lovers and quilters. We make models and we make videos. We garden and we run marathons. We're Leaf fans and we're people... <laughs> we're people... Thank you, who are not Leaf fans and who aren't about to have their hearts broken once again. No matter where our interests may lie, God is sending every one of us. He's sending the church to be in the world, to love the people we do these things with, to love them like Jesus did, to share the gospel with them. The body of Christ isn't about everyone coming to church and fitting into some homogenous Christian culture where we all have the same jargon and only hang out with each other. God forbid. It's the diversity of being called to be a Jew to the Jews, a Gentile to the Gentiles, to be weak among those who are weak. As you step out in faith, you can expect that God will meet you in that. And I want to encourage you, if maybe you've stopped praying about that, but as you make it a matter of prayer, God will open your eyes and enable you to pay attention to what's happening in your own heart, but also in the lives of others. And that's when the most amazing things begin to happen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. That's good news worth sharing. And for that reason, in that purpose, together in Christ, Paul sends us out to get close enough to whisper the gospel. He sets an example of radical identification here. But Paul himself is only following one who went farther than anyone else ever did or could have. When Jesus came among us to learn our language, to live a life like ours, but a life that we could never have lived, he identified with us in a way that has no precedent, that was unique and always will be in human history, and was a moment that changed everything. He came to serve and to die. He came to give his life so that we could truly live. And now he sends us out to serve and to share the love of Christ, to give up our rights and to get close to the people he wants us to love close enough to whisper for the sake of the gospel. So I, I'm asking you to join with the leaders of Courtright, Session and staff, because right now we're in a process of, of visioning for what that kind of outreach looks like. Last month, we had a meeting with a guy named Mike Wasilek, who joined us and, and helped us kind of focus on some things, and we've been processing that since then, and we have another meeting next month. And so we're asking, what, God, do you want us to do? Where would you have us go? So we're going to pray for that later today as well. But um, right now we're moving on to the second of the two sacraments that we get to celebrate this morning.